Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. So episode number 11 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. Uh, this week we are talking Super NES Act Razor, Super Famicom. Um, released uh, Super Nintendo Japan, 1990. North America, 1991. Europe, 93. Um, apparently there was also a mobile phone version of this in Europe in 2004. Oh, um, weird. Yeah. Didn't know anything about that. Developed by Quintet, published by Enix. Um think we kind of all know the the Enix story here but yeah one of the one of their classics before they started you know or before they merged with Square and kind of mm-hmm. just became the RPG franchise but um yeah sort of the start of the uh unofficial trilogy I guess of Actraiser, Soul Blazer and um Terranigma I guess or uh, well I guess you could say quadrilogy maybe yeah Illusion of Gaia is there between Gaia is in there yeah um, yeah, and I, until we, you and I were talking off mic a couple weeks ago, I didn't realize that this was kind of part of that. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get to that later at some point, I'm sure, because Illusion of Gaia is one of my favorite games. I love that. Yeah. Uh, and I had heard that it was connected to Soul Blazer and Terranigma, but I've never actually played either of those two. So okay. it be interesting to see how it all kind of ties together, because Actraiser, you know, spoiler alert, is also one of my favorite games. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To have, yeah, that's why I wanted to do this one. Uh, it's one of my favorites as well. So, all right, well, let's just jump right into the nostalgia then. What are your early okay. memories of it? Well, um, I can remember following this in EGM, uh, reading like the reviews and stuff like that. I mean, this was right around the time of the the launch of the Super NES, and I think it was one of the probably one of the first ones to come out after uh, after the launch of the system. I don't know if it was within a, a month or a few weeks or something like that, but. Uh, I distinctly remember, uh, you know, seeing this game. I didn't buy it at first. I had uh, I had saved up a lot of my money, and uh, I had sold some of my NES games at garage sales and stuff like that to kind of afford the Super Nintendo. And so at the time, I had you know Super Nintendo and Super Mario World, obviously. And then for a little while, I was just renting games, uh, you know, obviously because they were just too expensive. So um, Actraiser was one that I looked forward to from the minute I was reading about it and was just really excited. And then one day, uh, you know, popped into convenient video in, in Chillicothe and they had it. And I remember renting it and just being like super excited to play it. So um, incidentally, I, looking at the box art for this, um, 
like it's it's kind of decent, but this was kind of the start of some of the, at least from what I noticed, some of the Super Nintendo games, the art was either, the box art either wasn't that great or it was just kind of there. Um, and I kind of feel that way about this one. It's like, okay, you have the logo and you have, you know, some lightning and a pyramid, stuff like that, but that's really about it. So, um, you know, from, from first appearance, it, it doesn't look like anything special, but yeah, I'd been following it. I was excited by the idea of the city building and the, uh, the platforming and the combat and it, it delivered. And one of my other, I'm sure we talked about it before, but one of my other nostalgic memories, especially of the super Nintendo is just listening to the sound and the music uh, because of, you know, sort of the, the sound, the Sony sound chip in it being really, really powerful. And just from the get go, hearing like the, the orchestral music and the um, you know, how it kind of swells to a, a big crescendo. It's just something that every time I put this game on, I just kind of let the, the intro play out for a little bit and just kind of soak up that sound. Yeah, this was um, released about three months after the SNES hit, okay. Okay. Um, at least over here in Japan. I think it was like a month later. Yeah. At it, but um, yeah, our SNES hit in August of '91, and mm-hmm. so this this being November, you know, just a few months afterward. But it's it's one of those that I always associate it with one of the launch titles even though it wasn't Mm -hmm. officially one there was there's like a half a dozen games that i always in my head at least kind of was in that early release um this f-zero contra 3 um final fight like there's Mm. just something about a lot of those games un squadron is one Um, yeah oh un squadron is great yeah um that i I know that a lot later though it it is but for for some reason my head i have it in there you know, in that lump, I know it's not actually a release, but um, gotcha. gotcha. I think the only true releases for the SNES were Mario World, F Zero, and Sim City. Was it Sim City? I knew there were three, yeah. but yeah. And um, then shortly after, I think Gradius Three and uh, Final Fight, maybe. I think that sounds right. Yeah, but yeah. So this was really early in the the Super Nintendo era, and I didn't get my SNES until I think Christmas of '92. Mm-hmm. Um, so a year after, so like all of the, and maybe that's why it's like a lot of those first year releases to me were the launch titles. Like they were the ones that as I'm learning about this system, I'm like, oh, there's that, that, and that, and that, you know? So then when I got the system, here's what I had to pick from of the available games. Um, and I don't have a memory of like actually getting Actraiser for the first time or playing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's it's a weird thing because like I've just always known this game and always loved it so as far back as i can remember super nintendo i can remember act razor and it's 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 weird to think that there's no like origin point here for me but um Mm -hmm. i can't remember a friend that ever had it yeah exactly um but yeah i can't remember a friend ever really having it um i think i just rented the crap out of it until i finally found it used at uh electronic boutique and bought it Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I, I played it so much and was just completely in love with the the depth that it seemed to have, especially compared to all of the NES games that I had been playing up until that point. Like this really seemed to go so much deeper than anything because you've got the world building, you've got you know the action stages, you've got you know an open map that you can choose. Like I'm gonna go to Fillmore first, and then I'm gonna go to Northwall or Bloodpool. You know, you can go wherever you want to. Yeah, um, and but at the same time, like I loved that it was 
like there was flexibility. Like as I've grown older and I've kind of realized that it kind of plays out the same way every time you play it. But at the time, the idea of like simulating this world construction, it's like, this is so amazing. And like by the end of the game, as you're flying around in the palace, I felt like I built a world. Like it really Mm -hmm. does make you feel like this God who created civilization. And like, as a, 10 year old kid like that just blew my mind and i thought it was the the coolest concept ever i'll agree with you there because um i i was always kind of uh intrigued by the um by the gameplay of SimCity, but i never really got into it and it was just kind of boring to me like SimCity just seemed like okay there's a lot of menus and there's a lot of um you know clicking on things there's some depth there that i don't quite understand but for me, the sim aspects of ActRaiser kind of scratched that itch, even though it was a little bit more simplified. It was more enjoyable because you had a, a smaller toolbox to work with, so to speak. But after everything was said and done, once you build a world and kind of moved on or whatever, I always enjoyed the fact that like you could go back and kind of just revisit the areas that you've improved. And you know, it might not might not do much. You know, you might still want to just level them up or whatever, but. I just thought that was so cool. It's like, oh, I'm going to go check in on, you know, Fillmore, even though everybody's off, you know, standing on their own two legs now. But there was just something cool about being able to, you know, fly to the Sky Palace back and uh, check in on, on people. And I, I think that that's why I like this more than I liked SimCity. Yeah, I, I was, I echo that 100% because I've always been intrigued by those kind of, uh, I guess the micromanagement city building mm-hmm. t- type games, but I, I don't know. I just don't quite have the, the mind or the brain power for that level of micromanagement. Yeah. Um, SimCity. I've, was... tried, I've tried SimCity. I've tried SimCity 2000. I've played several of the romance of the three kingdoms games. And I like, I, I like the idea of it, but yeah, like, like you, I'm just not, I don't know. I'm, I'm right. not willing to put the time in. I think maybe that's it. yeah. No, and I I get to a point where I just kind of get overwhelmed by the sheer number of things that you have to keep track of. Yeah. Um. And like I played, you know, a lot of computer games growing up. You know, things like um. Oh, I mean, like the the Warcraft games involved a little bit of you know kind of building, mm-hmm. you know, city building kind of stuff or civilization yeah. games, um, Rise of Nations, that kind of thing. Sure. And I liked that in a lot of those, the victory conditions weren't about making the best city. Like in civilization, you could win with culture or you could win with military. So it gave you an out when I got overwhelmed by all the micromanagement. Um, sure. And so I think that's one of the reasons that I've always loved this game is it gives me a taste of that kind of stuff but on such a manageable level. Right. And it's almost like the training wheels version of, of those kind of games because mm-hmm. you get you get to build and like roads connect, but ultimately like it doesn't matter for shit. Like the there's a little bit of significance to how you build the city and I'll kind of get to the, some of that later, but for yeah. the most part... Yeah, putting in sewer lines and, and power Yeah, lines. right, right. Yeah. You know, the, the problems that they have, it's you know, pre-programmed into the game that at this point, this catastrophe is going to happen. Um, right. You can control the, uh, you know, natural disasters, but it's not like SimCity where if I put a tornado in the middle of the town, like I might've just screwed myself. Like here, mm-hmm. it it's 
I mean, I guess you could lightning your entire town and have to start over, but like they're going to rebuild it, whether you have taxes raised to the right level or not. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a self, I, I guess, training wheels. Like that's the best way to put it. Um, yeah. I mean, you can't really make a mistake, I guess, in the right. building aspect. So you're really um, just kind of directing them to build places, but it's, it's fun to just kind of watch it play out. Right, exactly. Um, I I think it's intelligent because there's a lot of like building from one city to the next. Mm -hmm. And kind of like you said, you liked going back and like revisiting the old ones. I liked the fact that some of the villages or cities would like give you offerings and like, hey, we Mm -hmm. discovered how to build bridges. So take this to other places that don't know how Um, or, you know, wheat that you could upgrade fields, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to get a lot of the like magic spells for your character later in the game, you had to yeah. go from one to the next and like keep bouncing back and forth and sharing offerings, you know, across the, the field. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was just such a brilliant idea. And I, I really, I really kind of like that. Um, it gets a little annoying at times though, when uh, like, you know, you're trying to build something and every set, you know, Oh, I've got something to tell you. Or, oh, oh, God, yes. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I know what it, I know it is unexpected, but the people have something to say. Yeah, <laughs> that's not oh, a, not unexpected at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. There's um, there's something about just the the loop of the simulation and the um, side-scrolling action, and it you know it's kind of the same thing throughout the game. But there's a satisfying loop there, I think, in in the half sim and half action um, aspect, which so, I really enjoy. So let's take it just a real quick minute for, you know, any of the listeners who have not played this yet, because um, I'm sure they're very confused as to what the hell we're talking about. Um, <laughs> it, this is not a standard game in terms of format that you've probably ever seen, although it combines elements of stuff you know. Uh, the, yeah. the, the basic story is you're a god who, depending on which version you're looking at, you're either in hibernation or, like, everybody's forgotten about you, whatever. Mm. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and you need to get your your power back by you know restoring people's faith in you. So you start out with this world map where there's no people at all, but it's covered with monsters. And it's broken up into like six little kingdoms or regions. And essentially you have to go to the first region, you zoom down in and you fight a you know 2D platforming side scroller, you know action mm. game, uh, jumping and slashing your sword and all that kind of thing. Uh at the end, you kill a boss, and by doing so, you've basically made that area safe for people to start b- coming back and building. Um, and then it switches to this overhead simulation, and mm. you get to tell people where to build. You know, as they'll start developing. Um, at times, you have to, you know, use natural disasters like lightning to clear away boulders and trees. You might need to use sun to melt snow. You might need to use water to race, wash away sand all these different things and they're constantly bugging you because they need this or they need that. Mm-hmm. And eventually once they've kind of developed to a point where they're kind of sustainable, they'll have some other major crisis and say like, well, the last hurdle we have is this monster has shown up. Please go destroy him." Right. And then you have to go to a second side scroller. Yeah. Yeah. You go to a second side scroller stage, play through that. When you beat that boss, the people basically say like, okay, we're self-sufficient now, please go help other people. And Mm -hmm. you then just kind of repeat this pattern five more times. And then when you're done with the whole thing, this demon king shows up and he's like, now you have to fight me. And, you know, that's kind of the end of the game then is this last fight. But 
yeah, so it's this jump back and forth between the side-scrolling platform, which is tons of fun, um, mm-hmm. and this overhead simulation. And so if, if you haven't played it, and if either aspect of that sounds fun to you, it's, it's just this great um, foundation where they just kind of build off of each other. Um, what you do in one kind of affects the other one. Um, and it's like in the simulation mode, you know, some of the items that you'll find that people offer you offerings like that strengthens your character. When you then go to the side scroller mode, um, your success in the side scroller mode affects how many people show up in the simulation mode. So it's a very intricate kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just find it incredibly rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say with the, um, with the loop, it, I, uh, I played soul blazer for the first time just a couple of years ago. Um, just passed by me when it came out originally, but um, Soul Blazer sort of follows the same loop. I mean, as far as uh, you know, sort of, but it's overhead action. Uh, so you have like Zelda style action, and then town, you know, sort of building and stuff like that. So it's kind of the same format. And after I played Soul Blazer for the first time, and I went back and I played Actraiser, I thought, you know, that's really cool that they've they've found a way to really just keep it entertaining even though it's kind of doing the same thing over and over you're doing it slightly different there's some variation but i think it's enjoyable enough that you don't mind going to the other towns and kind of perfecting it and you know learning from what you did in the previous towns right so i think that's i think it's good game design i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah and you and you had told me what that this is an unofficial prequel to that like is there there's like a cameo in there or something there's like one line of dialogue in Soul Blazer somewhere where um, the character just kind of you know says makes a remark like you know are, are you could you be the master or something like that and you know in the the U.S. release of Actraiser you're you're referred to as the master yeah um, since obviously they couldn't really have the uh, right the religious uh, uh, story that the Japanese version had where it was literally uh, God and Satan. Right. In the uh, U.S. release, it, it got changed to the Master and uh, Tantra. Right. But, you know, we know what's really going on. You know? <laughs> so. I don't know. I might have taken religious a little religion a little more seriously if this is what you know God was really like. <laughs> yeah, you better be careful. You're going to lighten your house, make you build a new one. <laughs> and running around there in those that blue armor and the sword, like that's not any Sunday school story I remember. Right. If you see one of those statues, you know some shit's about to go down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, although I never understood, I mean, these side scrolling stages start with this like soul flying down from the sky palace and going into the statue that's, mm-hmm. you know, in this pose with the sword kind of over his shoulder held behind his back. And yeah. then when you finish the stage, you hold the sword aloft He-Man style and the soul comes back out of you. Mm-hmm. Well, how the hell did that statue then get to the next place and change right. positions? Like <laughs> That could be like a mini game in itself. Like you have to like carry the statue from one stage to the other without getting hit or something. Maybe that's what happened to Teddy in Bloodpool. He's just tired know, of right? carrying the statue around. He's dragging this heavy statue around. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny too because you know um, the the beginning of each level when you're looking at the overhead map and then you zoom in and you know in mode seven, which is fucking sweet. It's so cool. Oh, um, mode seven just, like game. <laughs> yeah, you just zoom down in there. But it's kind of funny, though, because then, you know, you go from that and then you're still like flying down into the statue. So, right. Um, like you didn't quite make it, I guess. I don't know. So are there certain stages of this that uh, you like more than others? You know, either the side scrolling or the worlds like yeah, I, I like them all pretty equally. I think that, um, 
I think that they do a pretty good job of of having some variety in there. Um, you get kind of your standard fantasy type, um, you know, tropes from the first level, like the centaur and, and sort of the forest and things like that. And then, um, you know, you have like an Egyptian pyramid and you have, um, you know, that the second level, which has the really cool moon in the background and the uh, mountains and stuff like that. I don't know. I just think it's, I think that the, uh, the levels themselves, I, there's not one that I really don't like. I think they're all different enough and enjoyable enough that, yeah, they did a good job of like kind of touching on a lot of different subgenres with the side scrollers. Like, uh-huh. you're right. Your first one's kind of your default fantasy world. Second yeah. one, kind of horror. There's your desert, you know, Egyptian world. There's like a Hindu, um, Indian world. Mm-hmm. Um, the the jungle, Indiana Jones. Uh, I feel like I'm in the Temple of Doom and yes. you know, the fifth yes. area. Forgot about um, that. And then yeah, the frozen world. But I mean, all all of those are neat. And then, you know, even the overhead stages, like there's a couple simulation stages that I feel like are a little bit more tedious, like mm-hmm. using all of that goddamn rain to, you know, rinse all the sand off of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, or like, here's a monster layer that's way up here, but you're not going to get to it for a while. And you're going to yes. like 20 dudes. I don't know, but it's not that bad. It takes like five seconds though, really. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's the funny thing with old games, like, oh, this is going to take forever. And it's, you know, 10 minutes. Right. Most modern. Games. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where as a, as a kid, as a kid, you were much more intimidated by this. Yeah. And I think when you, you know, got to the first time where the, the big skull pops out, she's like, holy shit, what is that? And it's like, right. and it takes like eight or 10 hits, you know, with the arrow to kill mm-hmm. and it can create earthquakes. And it's like, Oh my God, there's no way that I'm going to get past this. It's like, right. You know, you're a little, it takes 10 hits and they're taking all the townspeople, but like, yeah, yeah. but you can't, but you can't die. And no. you know what I learned too is that like okay if a bat or a dragon or whatever comes and kills people like all that does is increase the number of bats that are back in the lair but those mm-hmm. people aren't gone forever right and even if your little naked angel takes like too many hits like okay you just can't fire your bow for a little while like it's yeah. well I think you, you can still run out of health though right I mean eventually you can die from in those levels I don't think so I think that. I mean, if, if you can, I never have, but yeah, when you get to zero health, like it just like stuns you to where you can't use your bow. But then the next time the, the day cycles through mm-hmm. and they build, you get health back. So oh, I, yeah, if, if you can actually die, I've never hmm. seen that happen. Maybe but. that's just something I thought was in the game, but actually isn't. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? It is interesting though. Um, in playing through this, this week, the first level, especially I, I got, some uh very heavy ghouls and ghost vibes from that first level and i don't know if it was um on purpose or accidental i mean it would have been around the same time period it it seems very similar and even the path to the boss where you sort of just fall down you know these three or four long steps and yeah. then there's the boss right there uh it got I me, of, yeah it reminded me so much of ghouls and ghosts maybe because we just talked about that a while back but uh, well and and it utilizes similar things where there's the the game uses the like backgrounds um, as kind of platforms. Like there's the one tree monster that you have to like stand on his hands as he moves. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. There's the there's another one where like the tree's body is the background, but his head is in the foreground. Like that's very mm-hmm. ghosts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's interesting. You're, I I would agree with you. Uh-huh. Yeah, just something. It it doesn't really show up in the rest of the game really, but that first level just kind of stood out to me. I never really made the connection back. Back in the day, but uh, 
don't know, kind of interesting. All right, so have you done any uh, research or found any regional differences or? Uh, you know, most of what I found was tended to be just uh, difficulty for the most part. Uh, the Japanese version tends to be uh, much more difficult than the U.S. release. But I think if you finish the, the U.S. release, I think you can unlock the uh, Japanese difficulty, if I remember right. Because you can also you can unlock the uh, action stages only, which you know we'll probably get that in the cheats. But I'm pretty sure that was the uh, harder difficulty. But yeah, I d- as far as other changes, don't remember if there's too much. Let's see here. Um, there's a couple little things. Wiki- okay. Yeah, so according to Wikipedia, I think it's mostly um, uh, you know changing like the monster layers from the Star of David to skull figures, and you know obviously removing any reference of God and Satan. Right. Uh, even like that, the but, the pyramid uh, in the um what was the Cassandora I think was the name of the uh-huh. town like in the Japanese version it had a little eyeball on the top so it was very much that Illuminati kind of pyramid oh, yeah right yeah but, um, yeah I think that's the only differences though from what I could tell yeah there, there's close. a it seems like there's a couple little things like magic seems to cost a different amount for some of the mm. um, natural disasters um, they changed what some of the um, monster layers are like in our version bats come out of one where in there they might have skulls a lot earlier um, oh, okay. and then yeah the, the one that they said you know was kind of a unsurprising difference was where we have wheat they have rice oh yeah well that makes sense but yeah a couple little things that would maybe change it slightly differently but uh or make it slightly different but not enough to you know drastically change the game unless like you said you wanted just a, a hard difficulty mm-hmm. mode well, it, it kind of makes sense, too, considering the release dates, too. I mean, obviously, there probably wasn't a lot of time to make big sweeping changes. So uh, with it being so close to U.S. launch, that mm-hmm. you know, probably just change a couple things and print the carts and you're off. Yeah, one of the things that I've kind of been fascinated by is after I discovered that hidden track on um, Ninja Gaiden 2, mm-hmm. um, I've been looking at things that are like also hidden on cartridges that never actually made it into the game. Mm-hmm. And there's two things on ActRaiser that are not in the game. And there's two little icons um, oh, yeah? that, are, that are in the cartridge. They ma- didn't make it into the game anywhere, but they look, you know, or people are suspecting that there's some sort of an item that you could have used, like an offering you could have gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, it just looks like some kind of a bag, which kind of resembles the goat food from Soul Blazer. Okay. Um, and there's another one that looks like a little picture of a dog. And... The, the only speculation on this website I found, which is a uh, TCRF, which is the cutting room floor. Um, mm-hmm. They just say that, you know, dogs can occasionally be seen wandering around the villages, but you can't get one as an item. So maybe in this case you can, <laughs> or they had originally intended you could have a dog companion. I don't know. Yeah. Take my dog and make sure other towns make use of him or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, all right. So, I mean, I don't know. How do we, how do we really kind of talk about this more? I mean, it's such a such a great game. I mean, the the, the concept is amazing. I mean, can you, with, with this being so original and innovative, can you think of other games that this kind of encouraged, or um, or I guess that were um, the word I want? Um, you know, outside of the the other quintet games, um, the only other thing I would say is it's kind of similar, you know, as, to your traditional side scrollers like Castlevania and uh, games like that, but. I don't know. It it whatever this does, it does it well enough that um, it's constantly enjoyable. But I can't just, seem to put my finger on it. 
it's just so unique that this, you know, for, for the formula that this had, I just can't believe that this hasn't been mimicked, you know, mm -hmm. elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, like we yeah. said, there's been, there are other games that do the simulation. There are other games that do the side scroller. And I mean, arguably every other game that has done those, you know, I, I could say could do them better. Like the, the platforming mm -hmm. stages of this are fun, but they're a little clunky. Yeah. Um, you, you get a couple power-ups as you go, but nothing's, you know, groundbreaking, like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Like it, it, it's a very standard side-scroller. Um, well, and I think there's there's something to the the way that your character uh, moves and, and swings the sword that um, it just feels good. Like the play control is really tight, but uh, I remember just liking the animation of, you know, how, how your, your guy swings the sword, even if, like when you crouch and you kind of bring it up over your head. And as a kid, like sometimes like I, I would pause it in certain um, parts to kind of see like what, you know, what that graphic kind of looked like, you know, if you swing your sword, if you're holding it over your head or stuff like that. So I don't know. I mean, I think there was some attention to detail, I guess, in the way that the game was presented, especially being, again, so close to launch that, you know, it was something that there was a, a slight level of detail here that you didn't see on the NES. Oh, definitely. And I think that that's kind of, uh, and even the some of the monster designs, like you mentioned the trees in the first level and just some of the, um, you know, like the faces. I don't know. There's there's something about the way that uh, that the graphics were designed that was just really cool, and it felt um, it felt 16 bit. I think to me at least at the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, but even when you get to the last level, you know that that when you're standing on that uh, that precipice and there's all like the demon faces looking at you, I just remember looking at that being like, oh, that's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. No, and I think that this is a really good showcase game in terms of, you know, being an early launch for the Super Nintendo. Um, you know, I, I put this one up there with, like, Super Castlevania Four mm -hmm. as one of those games that, in a lot of ways, was just showing off all of the different things that this console is capable of. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like had, every game had to have some kind of Mode 7. Yeah, you know? it, had, it had tons of the Mode 7. It had the background scrolling. It had you know, look, we can do overhead and side scrolling and depth. And, you know, like, you know, e even when you're in the overhead, like you can go into the sky palace and like zoom in and zoom out. Mm -hmm. like, there's no yeah. need for it, but you can do it. Right. Um, when the, have, like I was saying in the beginning, the, the sound, especially whether it be the music or even the sound effects have, have a real uh, weighty feel to them. And, and yeah. the, you know, there's, there's some bass there and there's, you know, every, every hit feels and it sounds really good. Right. Yeah. So I don't want to dwell on it too long just because, you know, this is the Actraiser cast, not the uh, sequel cast. But did you ever play Actraiser 2? Yeah, years later. Um, I'm not a huge, I own a copy of it, but I'm not a huge fan of it. And I just haven't really given it a fair shake, I don't think. But um, my beef with that one, obviously, the removal of the sim part of it was kind of a letdown. But I didn't like the character design. Of, of the main character in the second one, I thought, you know, giving him kind of wings and uh, stuff like that, like he looked more generic, I guess. And like the shield aspect was cool, but um, I feel like it's just not the same. It's more of, it, it becomes more of a, a common side scroller, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. So, and it's really freaking tough. So. Yeah. I, I used to own a copy. Um, I bought the cartridge, you know, pur purely based on the box art, you know, and my love of this game. Mm -hmm. And yeah. 
yeah, when I saw, I think even a Nintendo Power where they were talking about like, yeah, you have wings now and you can fly and all these different maneuvers. And I'm like, holy mm-hmm. shit. Like, yeah. so I bought it right away and was incredibly heartbroken that they took away the simulation. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's purely just a 2G side scroller. And yeah, mm-hmm. the wing the wing is fun, but it's almost just like overly cumbersome, like the number of different yeah. moves you can do. And so, yeah, I was just, I was very disappointed by, you know, the product and I did not feel like it was a successful sequel to yeah. this, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like it was either made by a B team or it was just, you know, something just cranked out to get some sales. I don't know. It's just, it's not nearly as fun as the first one. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it completely lost the charm. I think maybe we'll revisit it down the road, but um, I don't know. Just not, not the same feelings as playing the first one. Right. I want to talk about um, oh, just yeah. the music in this game, though, specifically. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. This being sort of, I don't know, like Super Mario World's music was kind of fun and whatever. But for me, like I was saying in the beginning, this is the first one that really, to me, kind of made use of the of the better sound chip. And just the fact that the, you know, had these big sweeping orchestral sounds. And like, that's how I always kind of um, equate the Super Nintendo and the Genesis as far as their sound chips, I always think the Super NES was better at orchestral scores, and I think the Genesis yeah. was better at like the FM synthesized rock music kind of stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say it sounds like an '80s you know synth band. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But uh, I mean, they're both, I, and that's one thing that I love about retro gaming is back when you know systems sounded different because they had different sound chips in them, and that's not something that you see that much anymore. But um, you know, one of the things I really like about this game is the music, whether it be from the title screen or even just uh, during the action stages. But I didn't know until much later on that uh, the men who composed ActRaiser, Yuzo Koshiro, also did Streets of Rage and Streets of Rage 2 and 3 and Revenge of Shinobi and just tons of Genesis games that I remember, you know, loving the soundtracks to those. But when I found out that he did this, it was like, really? Like, it's so different from what I'm used to uh, when I think of Koshiro's music, but man, it's so good. Like I, I could listen to this like day in, day out. I don't know. In fact, um, when I first started going to the OC remix site, probably 10, 15 years ago, Overclock remix, that was like the first things I found was like, uh, act razor remix music and finding like different, different, um, musicians and stuff that, you know, kind of, uh, put their own take on act razor music. I just love it. Yeah, the the soundtrack for this one, I would say that I agree with you on most parts. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's very orchestral, very sweeping, and you know, I, I do love the tracks that are on here. Um, the one thing that's always disappointed me about the soundtrack to this is that there just isn't enough of it. And yeah. you know, yeah. your every side scroller stage you go to, I think like all of the Act One stages have the same score. All of the Act Two stages have the same score. Um, mm. and kind of the same thing with the overworld. Like there's only, it's the same overworld score, no matter which region you're in. And mm. it changes slightly. Like when the people do something different, like when they, uh, start singing or when they're like depressed, like there's a couple different changes here and there, but for the most part, I like the music. I just wish there was more of it because I only feel like there's three or four different songs you ever hear. Yeah. But doesn't each level have their own music? I mean, as far as the side scrolling aspect. No, I don't think it does. I think that 
like I said, the the first act, like so that when you go down and clear the monsters for the first time, yeah, that that music is the same no matter which of the six regions you're in. And then when you go down to the second stage at the very end, again, it's the same music no matter which of the six worlds you're in. Now, huh. I could be remembering that wrong, but I feel like it plays the same. You know, See, tracks. and I just played it this week, but now I, now you got me second guessing it. Where it's like, I swear there's different music for for each level. But I mean, obviously the the overhead aspect is the same music throughout. But uh, I swear that the other one is that each stage has their own theme. Like the pyramid stage, I swear has different music than the second level does. But yeah, maybe maybe I'm to... wrong. Or there, and I mean, there are a couple of different things here. I'm looking at the soundtrack right now. Um, there are not a ton of tracks here, so. Um, anyway, yeah, that's, but you, I mean, regardless, you're, you're absolutely right that the, the kind of overwhelming, you know, mood of the song, it's mm-hmm. like, it, it's very gripping and, uh, gets yeah. stuck in your head in just that, that great way. And, you know, mm-hmm. once again, we're talking about the early days of the system. So to discover, you know, we're just coming off of, you know, Super Mario Brothers three and Mega Man four and, all of a sudden this comes out and we're listening to this. It's like, holy shit. Like, you know, that's yeah. Well, it was, you know, the, the gaming mags of the day made such a big deal about the Sony sound chip in the super NES and how it was going to be, you know, this big revolutionary thing. And maybe that's in part why, you know, I, I sort of have more memories of this stuff is just because I was just feeding into all the, the craziness in the magazines, all the hype, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the super Nintendo is probably one of, the best sounding consoles out there. Yeah. Just for the most part. I mean, there's a lot of junk, sure. But uh, with the talented composer, I think that you could really get some good, good songs out of this. Definitely. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the orchestral part of it, like it's one of those things where when you listen to game soundtracks, which, you know, I do a lot. um, Mm -hmm. There are times where you'll listen to a song from a super Nintendo game and think like, now wait, was this like an orchestral rearrangement or is this Uh the original? And, to find out, like, no, this is actually the original song. Like, it's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and you get later on into um, Chrono Trigger and, and Final Fantasy VI and Super Metroid, oh, even. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you get some amazing music out of there. Donkey Kong Country, Absolutely. obviously. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, another thing I wanted to mention real quick is uh, before the show, we were talking about the, uh, uh, the instruction book a little bit, and I pulled uh-huh. that up online. We were, we were talking about that a little bit, too. I haven't looked through this instruction booklet in forever. In fact, I may not have ever looked through this because, you know, when you rented it back in the day, like if you weren't the first person that rented it and stole the instructions, you weren't going to get the instructions. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, and I think, you know, when I bought it later on down the road, I think it was just, you know, box and cart kind of thing. But you were talking about how the instruction booklet kind of spells everything out for you. And it, it really does. But uh-huh. before I was looking through it, and obviously with it being Enix, but it's interesting how this um, instruction booklet slash strategy guide is almost the exact same format of their Dragon Warrior games, even down to the um, the art inside, like looking at the uh, page 18 of the instruction manual, the Centaur. I think the, the artist that drew this is probably the same that did some of the Dragon Warrior art for the American version. So it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting that, you know, for this game, you have pretty much a complete walkthrough here, like you were saying. Right. And it's very much like the Dragon Warrior style hint books, which I never really. Well, yeah. I mean, when you get all the way down to like the the six individual regions, and you know, it, it it walks you through exactly what to expect on each one, 
and you know like the order of events like you're going to fight this and then the people are going to find this thing and then this person's going to go missing and then you're going to have to go do Mm -hmm. this uh it shows you what each of the monster layers are it shows you what every item that they're going to offer as offerings so if you're playing in the world and you haven't got you know the magic aura in marahana then it's like well apparently you've missed something so go back and keep working um but yeah even it's, the layout looking at the map on the the back of the poster here even the layout of the the land itself is very dragon warrior-esque yeah very true yeah it's interesting that you know and, and this this is one of those things that i you know this is why retro gaming podcast is perfect for this it's like uh, of all of the things of retro gaming that we don't have anymore that just break my heart like this is the probably the biggest piece is that i miss instruction books and the art that is in here um just the content like i mean how many times did you go out and buy a brand new game or rent a game whatever and (laughs) on your way home like you can't play it yet so you're sitting in the car like and you're just going to read through that instruction book you know 12 times on the way home um trying to get that information into you you know and it's like it, it just doesn't exist anymore like what, what are you going to do now when you go buy you know mario kart 8 for the switch like got to read the safety warning how not to have seizures like that's all that's included in there's like but to be fair though that that's sort of coming around again too with with sort of your niche publishers that you're seeing um you know sort of a premium style instruction manuals and things like that um speaking of the switch I and mean, cave story and uh finding of isaac are, are perfect examples of that where you know, they've sort of taken that love of the original instruction manuals and sort of, uh, you know, brought that back. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with it very much, but the Finding of Isaac booklet for the Switch is in the exact same format as The Legend of Zelda. And the Cave Story one is in the same format as uh, your classic Ultra and Konami games. Hmm. So it's still there. It's just not nearly as much. You know what I mean? It's it's more of a, a throwback, I guess. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, that's that's a sad part of, you know, modern gaming. And you started to see that with the Xbox 360 generation where, you know, manuals started to, to drift away a little bit. And yeah, it is kind of sad because, you know, and maybe this is just me, but, you know, back in the day when, like, you know, you had to go to the bathroom really bad and you needed something to read in there, it's like, you know, which instruction manual am I going to grab? You know, what am I going to read through while I'm sitting <laughs> on the toilet? Yeah. You know, and uh, I don't know. I mean, nowadays you just sit there and look at your phone, but, you know. Yeah, not the same. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting to think about. You know, if you buy a retro game now and it's complete with box and manual, you know, odds are whoever had that game probably read that book on the toilet a lot. So it's something to think about. <laughs> Thanks for <So>. that. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you go to the game uh, store, you look up, you pick up a manual, you be like, yeah, somebody read this on the shitter. Yep. Well, and if they use the sharpie to write their name on the back of the box, you know, I I know who to blame. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Is it tips and tricks time? Oh yeah. Tips and tricks. Uh, okay, so you know this is one of those games that I played so many times in my life, and I had just never really put a whole lot of thought into some of the, um, I guess, inner workings and mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of trying to dig a little bit deeper to find something that's actually worthwhile here, because when it comes to the side-scrolling stages, like that's pretty cut and dry. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, go go explore, go kill the monster, don't get hit. It's you don't really need much guidance there. Right. Um, what I was interested in is just trying to see what some of the variation came in when you actually started doing the simulation. And there's a 
there's a stat that you can bring up if you go into the menu and you can look at like the world as a whole it'll list all six regions and it'll show their population like the growth rate and all these stuff which just made me think that like there's there's more to this than just you know letting people build so that's some of the stuff that i was kind of trying to play with and discovered some really interesting things about this that will change your gameplay quite a bit um the first is that there's there's actually a, a lot of different ways to in, increase or decrease the number your your population that you can work with in a town. Like basically, mm-hmm. they're going to cap out at a certain point, but you have some control over how many souls are going to show up. Um, and it's all based on the score that you receive in the side-scrolling platforming stage. Really? So the the more points you get, um, the more souls are available when you go to build. Um, oh. So there, you can manipulate this if you wanted to, like just you know run around and keep killing enemies that you know keep respawning. Um, uh, to make sure that you always get the little uh, items that drop that are worth a thousand points, five hundred points, um, all that kind of stuff. You know, factors in. Um, the more uh, one ups you have when you beat the boss, like those all count for points. Um, but yeah, do, do everything you can to maximize your score because. It, this is one of those games where the score actually does have an impact. Um, and then when you then go to start building, that increases the number of souls you have. And it, it, it plays, it, it's hard to explain, but like basically like your total score for the world is what dictates it. So that hmm. includes both the Act 1 and the Act 2. So once you've finished Act 1, you start building, whatever, at some point you have to go beat that second boss keep working on getting a high score on that part too. And when you're done, come back and don't immediately abandon the town and go on to the next one. Stay there oh. and let them keep building for a while because the points that you got in that second act added more souls to what will show up. Um, and I, oh. I, disco- I discovered this because there's some towns where like, after a while they'll keep building and then they'll hit a point where they'll cap. And like when the days cycle through, they won't construct anything new. Mm-hmm. Um and I hit that point before I went and beat the second boss. Then you go beat the second boss, come back, they start building again because there's more points, which equates to more souls. Um, hmm. So, yeah, if you want the maximum number of people possible, get the highest score. And, you know, you might be thinking, well, who gives a shit how many people are running around the town? Um, this is where the kind of RPG element of the game comes in. The, the total population of your world is the equivalent of your experience points so every so many people that you have you know running around your world will increase your character's level when you then go to the next side scrolling stage it's it's this weird secular thing um so having as many people on the map as possible is good because that just increases your health and increases your stats when you then go back and fight um so yeah just kind of went back and just developed new parts that maybe i skipped over or or things like that, but I never really took any of that into consideration. Yeah, it, it really is this kind of think of it as an RPG in where mm-hmm. your population is your XP. The higher that gets, you know, the higher your level is, and your your health bar just keeps ticking up each time you go up a level. So that last battle um, can be incredibly easy if you've you know maxed this game out and had you know as high a population as you can get because your health bar is you know, across the entire screen almost. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the first trick that I could give you is that, you know, pay attention to your score in those action stages. Um, 
the second thing and that all, all of these tips go go along with that like they're how to kind of maximize your your xp slash population um mm-hmm. the second one that i found is that like as your village starts building they'll start as like a level one civilization at a certain point and it's usually triggered by defeating one of the monster layers um they're letting the people close you know the the bat layer or the dragon layer or whatever um at some point they'll click up and it'll a little box will pop up and says your civilization is now level two uh-huh. uh there's a third stage then where they become you're now level three um essentially like your each village can only sustain so many buildings and the buildings like dictate how many people that village can have uh level Mm -hmm. one houses can't hold very many but level three houses can hold a lot more so once your village has reached level three either if you have enough magic points send an earthquake down to just like wipe everything out um or yeah you you don't have to (laughs) exactly Um, if you don't have enough magic to do the earthquakes, just use lightning and blow up every single building. Um, because the, the goal is you want to get rid of all those level one and level two houses. So that all that's left is level three. Um, you'll end up with a much higher population that way. Uh, the earth, the earthquake is more efficient because level three buildings can withstand an earthquake. Um, so you throw the earthquake, it'll wipe out the ones and twos. They'll quickly then go rebuild everything and, then you're left with nothing but threes. Huh. Um, so yeah, it's, I guess it's, that's it's like you know the the houses that got destroyed by you know the demons or whatever, like the little blue guys or blue devils, and then they'd rebuild it into something different. I was like, oh, it just looks different. I never, guess I never really thought about you know the different levels of houses or. Yep, it's completely dictated by what civilization level that city has gotten to at that point, um, which is why as you know, sadistic as this sounds, like when the little dragons start blowing up houses and I'm still level one, I don't really care that much. <laughs> Just let them. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, if, if you've if you've been having a rough day at work, this is a fun game to play because you do get to take some stress out and just go, you know, yeah, just, lightning bolts and houses and houses. Yeah. And it's it's all for the better good. So yeah. um yeah, then there uh, as you kind of keep going, like I said earlier, after you finish act two, uh you want to stick in the region and let them continue to build until they've stopped, you know, built as many buildings as they can. Cause that's just going to keep increasing your population and your XP. Um, you'll also want to come back to these regions after you've like traded a, a key item. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, there's one of the regions that like goes into depression after you finish the second boss. Right. Uh, a couple worlds later, you discover music. And if you take that offering back to the people, I think it's Bloodpool that has the depression, take the music back to Bloodpool, play it. Now they're happy again and they'll start building some more. Okay. Um, and stick yeah, around. Like that, like I couldn't quite figure out that I needed something from a later level. So I would just kind of, you know, mess around and like, you know, make it rain and, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just and hoping to right. that fix the problem. That's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. so, take the offerings back to the other one. But once you do stick around long enough until that day cycles through and they don't build, that means mm-hmm. that they've built as much as they're going to. Oh, um, okay. But yeah, each, each, each time they build, it's just more XP for you. Okay. Um, and then the only other big thing that will help get your population up is it seems kind of silly, but in the, the early part of the game, uh, I think it's, it's either film. Yeah. I think it's film they give you wheat. 
um, like as an offering, they discover how to grow wheat. And so they offer that up to you and they give you tons of it. Um, what you want to do is there are, you don't need to do it in blood pool because they'll build a road between those two and therefore share the wheat. But the two big cities in particular are um, Kisandora and Marahana. Mm -hmm. um, once you get those two kind of building and they start building fields, make sure to use the wheat in those two because once again, the, the wheat fields versus just the original crop fields uh, sustain more population. Um, so by upgrading those towns to wheat, you just, again, you just increase your XP. Hmm. Um, so yeah, by, by doing all of those little things that I mentioned, you'll notice that your, your total population is going to be much higher than it would be on just a casual playthrough, which if you kind of go through all six worlds and wait until they've built as much as they're possibly going to build. It's all level three. You got the highest score you can. Everybody has wheat. Then you're going to be almost like a full health bar, you know, and compared to what you found in the bosses, like you're, you've got that much health. Um, hmm. It just makes the last fight just so much easier. You can see that. In a way, though, I guess it, it is fun that that is there if you wanted to be able to max everything out, but Part of the challenge, I think, in the, the last part of the game is just getting through the boss rush with whatever mm -hmm. magic or whatever health you have up to that point. You know, right. You have three lives or four lives and six or seven bosses to go through, but uh, right. that's part of the challenge, I guess. Well, and you can give yourself another little advantage there if you want to. Um, there's a couple hidden one-ups in the game. Mm -hmm. um, I found three of them total. Uh, in Bloodpool, just northeast of the woods, or in, in the woods that are just northeast of the, the lake itself, um, if you make it rain on those woods, the people will suddenly tell you that they found something or it washed out. Mm -hmm. They'll give you a one-up. Um, in Cassandora, after all of the sand is cleared and the pyramid shows up, if you cause an earthquake, uh, part of the pyramid crumbles away and they find a one-up that they give you. And in Northwall, um, this is the weirdest one, but make a make lightning strike that main town hall mm -hmm. and they'll give you a one up for it too. Um, oh yeah. I remember that. <laughs> I think that was in like a Nintendo power or something. It's so weird that like right. that works, but yeah. Yeah. So it, any of those will give you the one up, which, you know, again, just kind of helps you be able to get through that mad rush of seven bosses in a row there at the end. Yeah. I love the boss rush at the end though. I think that's so much fun. Mm -hmm. You know, and especially the, the very, Fighting the very last one, I guess that's another thing with the, uh, you know, the the graphic effects of the new system, and everything. But I love the, you know, sort of the fact that you're kind of in space and the, you know, space is just kind of like wobbling back and forth. You know, mm -hmm. just I don't know. It's just it's a feeling of like, you know, being a, a cosmic badass. I guess you know. Well, and it's that you know kind of epic final boss fight that happened a lot in the early super nintendo days like it always reminds me of like final fantasy 2 yeah um yeah you know final fantasy 2 4 whatever you want to call it but like those had that same kind of background feel you know for mm -hmm. final bosses which has kind of been lost a little bit you know yep. in the age but yeah there is something satisfying about you know kind of um bringing the universe from evil i guess I don't know. <laughs> especially after you know you just got done earthquake in all of their houses you know, I know you right? some redemption yeah just uh, <laughs> You know that lightning that I struck your, uh, you know, temple with that you built to worship me. Sorry about that. <laughs> My bad. You'll understand when you're older. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So would we call this a recommend? 
Oh, absolutely. Especially if you've never played it. But I think it's I think it's it's popular enough that I think a lot of people probably do have fond memories of it. So um, it's one that is worth revisiting every couple of years. I don't I don't play it that often, but um, you know, like I said, I still have really fond memories of it. And every time I do sit down and play it, I end up playing right through it. So right. Yeah. It's a good way to yeah. you know, get through a couple hours and feel satisfied. I want it once every five years, once every five years or so for me. And yeah, it's the same kind of thing. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, now I remember why I love this game. But uh, all right, why don't you throw some contact information out of there so we can get out of here? All right. So obviously, uh, if you like the show, uh, please let us know. You can email us at graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on Twitter at duckgraveyard. Uh, we have a Facebook group, of course, under Graveyard Duck, and we're also part of the Geek Nerdery um, series of podcasts and uh, entertainment and, and whatnot. So um, you can find lots of good stuff there, whether it be um, that you're into video games or you're into uh, anything else, really. I mean, anything geeky or nerdy, um, it's all there. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, we try to do some fun stuff on Twitter every now and then and, um, and on Facebook and just kind of talking about kind of, you know, stuff that we enjoyed growing up or, you know, things that we might be revisiting uh, for the first time. So uh, if there's anything that you like or uh, any memories that you have of ActRaiser or any games in particular, you know, feel free to, to shout out us that, you know, we'd love to hear your stories and just kind of what your memories are of it. So um, and if you like yeah, the show, I, by all, I say, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. That would definitely help. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we've been getting some good feedback, and I love the uh, I remember this game back when stories. Those are oh yeah, those are my yeah. favorites. Yeah, because I, I mean we all have them, but I I think it's really fun to kind of um, I don't know live vicariously I guess through some other listeners um, you know stories about it, which is is fun because you know everybody we all approach games differently growing up, and we all had different ones that we played and, and stuff like that. So uh, so that's pretty cool. So, righty. Well, I think we got uh, we got a good topic for uh, next episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Taking a little bit of a unique unique approach this time. So, um, yeah, if you've, if you've kind of fi- found the groove so far. Well, we're going to throw it off a little bit, <laughs> which is fine. You know, like we were kind of talking about without spoiling it a lot. I think it's going to be interesting when we start talking about the next game on the show because it's not something that you know at, at a surface level it doesn't really there's there's not as much to it as you think but we're going to take a deep dive in and we're going to really get into some of the the nuts and bolts of something that's not readily apparent at all so i think it's yeah. going to be a fun discussion. so stay yeah, tuned. i agree i'm looking looking forward to it so mm-hmm. until then uh i will say i'm scott and i'm wes and uh just you know remember that if you uh lightning somebody's temple that uh it's not necessarily that you're mad at them. You just want them to grow and uh, give you more XP. Amen. Game over. <laughs>